sir. Thank well, you for doing this. Thanks for having me on. This is a very cool setup. You got, I don't know if you put the Ganesh there for me, but that, uh, that's very sweet. Um, actually, the story <laughs> behind that Ganesh is my grandfather passed away two weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, he'd been sick for a little while. Okay. But he actually gave me that a few years ago, and I had it in one of my um, places in L.A. Okay. And when I was visiting for the funeral and everything, I saw it. It caught my eye, and I was like, you know what? I really like that to be in Dallas with me. So yeah. it kind of just exists here because he gave it to me. Yeah. That's uh, the re- he's the remover of all obstacles, right? So, uh, Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's what uh, Ganesh is. Uh, and, then the mythology, and then the mythology behind it, like he has the head of an elephant because an elephant never forgets. Right, uh-huh. uh, he's got a big belly because he's well fed, and you can see he's got a plate of food right there. So he's always well fed. So and for those of you that might be listening, I've got a little uh, Ganesh, Ganesh right uh, statue sitting here. Oh yeah, and uh, Raj is just explaining to us everything about it because I yeah. really don't know much about uh, the Indian religions. Yeah, yeah, except for you know whatever we all hear on TV and stuff. Yeah, Temple of Doom. Yeah, uh, so this is way more <laughs> interesting because yeah. I didn't know that there was so much significance. Yeah, and then he's fearless because, you know, they say elephants are scared of mice. Yes. There's a mouse at his foot. Uh, oh, so it signifies a, being fearless. Fearless, wealthy, prosperous, uh, intelligent. Uh, he's Lord Shiva's son, Shiva the Destroyer. Yes. Uh, that's his son. Uh, how he got the elephant head is uh, Shiva's wife, uh, the goddess Barvati, was taking a shower. And he was ch- uh, put in charge to guard her door so that nobody came in. And she would go on these long... Pilgrimages, like these long journeys, okay. long sabbaticals, and he never knew what his father looked like. So, up comes this guy and is like, "Get out of the way of the door! I'm here to see my wife." And he's like, "My mom's taking a bath. You can't enter." And he's the he's the destroyer. He's the guy. He's the man. And here's this kid telling him what to do. Right. And he got furious and cut his head off. So that's why. And then he walked in, and Parvati, the goddess Parvati, is like, "What'd you just do? That's your son." And so he went back out, and the first thing he saw was an elephant and cut and replaced that. Oh. Yeah. So it was kind of like a father atoning for a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah, and I feel like the more you know star should just fly by at some point, like the, the little star that goes, the more you know. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, the Reading Rainbow? Reading Rainbow, yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> because now everybody knows about Ganesh. That's interesting. So what is the, in, so Ganesh is a man. Yes. What's in either hand? It seems like he's holding things. Uh, yeah, so you have, um, so right there is a, a plate of food. And granted, there's four hands that I see. So Yeah, so there's a plate of food there. There's an axe uh, or like a smaller sword in this hand. Um, I think there's a, a sword of the flower in this hand. And then there's the blessing is in that hand. So it's inscribed with the, uh, either it'll have an ohm or something inscribed where it says blessing to you. Oh, so, interesting. Uh, so it's power, it's power, beauty, grace, um, and is blessing. he sitting in a blossom? He's sitting in a lotus flower. Lotus flower. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's blessings, it's um, power, it's uh, wealth, it's knowledge, and it's courageousness. So that's why he removes all the. You put it like if you look, like even in my car on the dash is a Ganesh. And a lot of Indians, you'll see like if you see a little thing on, that looks like an elephant that's sitting on like like on the. Uh, dashboard. Yes. You can go, ah, that's an Indian guy because uh, it's the remover of all obstacles. Okay. Yeah. Then it's Keeps you, meant to keep you safe. And keep you keep safe. You. And when I, it was very interesting. I got, I was really, really lucky when, you know, living in LA, 
I got to uh, open for uh, Tim Allen. Yeah, a, a few cool times. Man. Yeah, a few times. Uh, I got to feature for him. Where at? Uh, in the laugh at the Laugh Factory nice. on Sunset. So um, this is just this amazing iconic place. If you've never been, yeah, treat it's, yourself it's, to the Laugh Factory and yeah, it's it's the my comedy it, store. It's yeah, that's the Laugh Factory is my 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 home club. That was the one that that's where I got my big break in L.A. But I was working with Tim, and my keychain had a Ganesha. And he's like, oh, my God, is that Ganesha? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I don't know why, but since I was a kid, I've been drawing. I mean, he's got drawings everywhere of Ganesha. And so I, I think I had gone to India to tour, and I came back, and I brought him one. And, uh, and for those of you that don't know, Tim Allen is an American comedian yep. with no Indian descent. None, none at all. None, none at that all. I can think of at all. No, 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 no. I think he's, I think it's, I, his name is uh, Tim Dick, um, Timothy Dick. Uh, I think, it, I think it, it maybe Irish. I don't know what that not last sure, name is. Definitely but not Indian. No, but he's been, since he was a kid, he told me he was been drawing. And uh, he can't finish. figure out where the genesis of that is, like Mm-mm, popping but, into his head. But it's always been like a favorite thing. He's got, I, he's got a couple of them over his fireplace or whatever. And uh, so I, at least what he told me. Um, and so I brought him one of those and didn't really think anything of it. You know, he's a. He's an uh, an icon and and this legendary comic and he was nice enough to let me feature for him so I'm like as a gift as a thank you yeah um and he took to Twitter and he's like thank you so much for your gift and he took a picture of it that's um, so sweet of him that's yeah gen- I like those things because uh, a lot of the comedians that are maybe an older generation yeah yeah, yeah. we don't have this kind of podcasts and a lot of interviews with them where you kind of get an inside look at how they really are as a person yeah because everybody talks about like you know the douchebags in hollywood oh yeah there's plenty like a lot of comedians are exempt from that because they go through so much crap just to get there yeah i mean you would think so i mean i've i've met i've met my my fair share uh but i think there was this um back in the day there was this whole concept of aloofness and uh, you didn't know um, about your favorite star outside of what Teen Beat or whatever magazine at the time was reporting on it. Right. right? Or if they so they did like a book memoir kind yeah, of Yeah, something like some that. So uh, seeing behind the curtain was never, and they were very standoffish and very, and they kept their own little clique and there was that mystery. And like, if it wasn't for those things, like back in the day, like you didn't know what, uh, what Humphrey Bogart did. Yeah, like during the really day, or you didn't know Red what Red Fox was thinking. Yeah, nobody had any uh, any clue of that stuff, and so I think once the onion started getting, you know, peeled more and more, as time goes on, people felt like I think they're trying to. I think the re- why that um, arrogance and why that uh, aloofness exists is they're trying to go back, like throw back to that um, mysteriousness, and that was back in the day. That whole iconic. You know, we're 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 the celebrities behind the wall. That's why if you go to LA and you know this, like yes. all their houses, you can't see behind. No, they're uh, always gated communities, and yeah. there's always very large shrubbery that yeah. covers whatever the interior. That's may be. and that's the idea of it is you can't see what we're doing back here. So, to that point, do you think that now that comedy has had this humongous shift into the internet era where yeah. podcasting and YouTube yeah. has become an outlet for? us as the audience to become more better acquainted with the comedian on stage. Does that take away from comedy in any way? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I don't know how you would equate that to a writing process or a performance process. I don't know how it I don't would either. I'm just curious. I, like I don't think has changed in the dynamic. I mean, I, I think the only thing that's changed mm-hmm. is accessibility. That's, that's it. You don't have to come to, that's the thing, right? Is, uh, I can have 
tens of thousands of followers and millions of views and all of these things, but you don't have to come to my show, right? You don't, right. Have, you don't have to come. You can, you can just sit in your house and, and watch me now. Whereas when I was starting out, like if you wanted to see me perform, if I wanted to see, you know, the guys that I enjoyed, I had to go to a club or I had to go to back in the day, Blockbuster or whatever yeah. and rent a video to watch them. There wasn't any of this sitting behind a computer and just watching to my heart's content. And then if they are in town, do I want to go or not? So it, it does reflect in ticket sales. It does reflect in bookings. Because uh, the more content you're putting out there, I think, and I could be wrong, there's two sides of it, right? The more content, the more people go, oh my God, I really like this guy. Next time he's in town, I'm going to go see him. Or, man, this is my favorite and he puts content out all the time. I never have to leave my house. So it's dependent on who you are as a person. Like if you don't like to leave your house, the world's your oyster. And if you like to leave your house, the world's your oyster. And I feel like if you're somewhere in between, you get the, the pleasure of, the comedian putting out a special on YouTube for everybody sure. to see and the stuff on Instagram and yeah. the podcast series that he or she probably does. Yeah. And then if you really do like that person and you've, you know, taken in all of this content, yeah. then you go see him. Like that happened for me. Yeah. I wasn't as familiar with Ari Shafir's work oh, yeah, no, until um, the whole Kobe controversy stuff happened. Yes. And then he yeah. took, he cooled off and then I saw him do some stuff and thought it was funny, edgy. Yeah. And then I saw his latest special, Jew, mm -hmm. and he was coming to Addison Improv, and I was like, I have to go see this guy. Yeah, yeah. I had that kind of a. Uh, now were you? Now were you? Um, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, no, no, no. Were, were you? Were you more intrigued by the possibility of there being some sort of scandal? If you saw him live, if was he going to be more edgy or more scandalous because he wasn't? Was that in the back of your head, or were you like, no, I just really like this content. I'm going to go see him. Yeah, so I'm not that kind of uh, a fan, fan of anything where I'm always <laughs> trying to find some sort of negativity or controversy. Or no, I think it's like the secret indulgence, right? Like, oh my God, if I see him live and there's no cameras here and we're behind closed doors and it's all fans, so, is he going to be edgier than what we see now that he's gotten? Because he, I mean, Ari's nickname or, or his mo uh, moniker for the, for the longest time was the Amazing Racist. Mm -hmm. That's what he went by. And that was, and, that, and if you think about it back then in those times, you know, that gimmick or that, uh, that, that kind of stick or whatever you want to call it, that's just him. That's who he was. And I think as time progressed, people went, oh, you can't do that. I think, and so, you know, I think um, Ari is part of the tail end of a generation of comedians I was kind of passing. Yeah. And where it was much raunchier at one point. Sure. In my opinion, where it was no holds barred. Yeah. Now, was it correct? Was it insensitive? Was it? I. That's not for me to say. It's not for anyone but the audience to decide. And that's the, the thing. And in those times, the audience was laughing mm -hmm. hysterically. I, I think we forget as a collective that society grows. Absolutely. Meaning the previous society that was okay with the content yeah. isn't the current one, which means don't ostracize the comedian that was part of society previously. Yeah, and I don't know, and, and, and I've been doing this 20 plus years now, and so I don't know. It's, uh, uh, the, the audience seems less forgiving if, you're, if, you, if you haven't caught up to them yet. And there are those people, I, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't put myself in that group, but there are comics that I see that I know that I'm like, they're just that generate. They're, they're, they're trying, they're right. catching up. It's just not as fast as, as the, the, the audience is now, but they're trying to get there. And it looks like it's over, like they're overcompensating. Like they're trying to, to get that audience. I think they're just trying to catch up because it's like, it's like trying to get your grandpa to understand Justin Bieber. 
Right. Right. When Justin Bieber popped, when he, you know, that when he was 15 or 14 or whatever it was, sitting your grandfather down and going, you got to listen, this is great. He might eventually like a song or whatever. He might eventually catch up to what your speed is. Um, but I don't think he's going to immediately go, man, I'm on board. You know what I mean? So I think that there's there's got to be a little bit of give and take between an audience and uh, and an artist. Yes. To catch up. Uh, if that's the case. And if you don't, and that's the thing, you know, there's so much content, there's so much out there now. If you don't like something, just change, change the, channel. the channel. It's been a fact since cable became. I, since, uh, since the television, since radio. Yeah. You don't like uh, it, if you don't like it, change the channel. And uh, I think there's people going, no, make me like something you say. And I'm like, no, no, no that's not how this works. Like, <laughs> This is how my brain works. Yeah, because like, I think we're in, an, in a time frame right now where self-censorship is directed in the wrong way. I think that I, think I haven't heard. I haven't censored. heard. It. Yeah. You should censor yourself if you don't like the content. Don't listen to it. But don't. I, I haven't heard it put that well uh, ever. And so thank you for that. But you, you're you're 100 percent right. Um, I, I just feel like it, and it's in all facets of in everything. It, like the media is that way. Entertainment is that way. Yeah. The news sources are that way. And for some reason, I don't like that well i mean i know the reason i don't like it because it takes the weight off of society's shoulders to yeah, yeah. understand when they're wrong right because that's i think that's a lot of what entertainment and art does in general is like show us how stupid we can be as a whole yeah i mean you have to understand that there was a whole generation that went that beethoven guy's garbage yeah like there was a you know what i mean like there was a when those guys were like that that you have to understand how that's how society is like Monet, he's never gonna make it. Dude, like, Van Gogh died and then his painting sold. The yeah, man sold nothing while alive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you, you that, that's what you have to understand. And and I think people look back and go, man, well he was so ahead of his time. Well, that might have been the problem as well, is he was ahead of his time and he and, and people couldn't catch up. To, whatever it is, the options are out there for you to find someone, especially now. To find someone you like that's in your wheelhouse that you have to go, you know what? I can just watch him, and then they, then every outlet goes, you like him? Here's who else you'll like. Yeah. And then they go, okay, well, here's all of this content. I never have to mess with anybody else. But that's again another form of censorship, in my opinion, because expose everyone to other content to even if they don't like it, they yeah. should be the one to say they don't like it. But here's the problem with that then. And there's the flip side of the artistry of it, right? If you if they go, we don't like this, the people that are in charge, because now it's no longer about the show. It's about asses and seats. That's what every booker will tell you. Every club will tell you. Every agent will tell so you. So does that mean your following is a direct correlation into what clubs you'll be able to work at? 100%. Okay. Uh, and so what happens is if they go, we don't like this, and this we, if, if that we is big enough, then it doesn't matter what your artistry is. It doesn't matter what your... Uh, what your concept is or your point of view is, they can go, well, look at all of these people that don't want to see you. So I'd, I would, this is just me personally, it's Raj Sharma, me personally, when it gives you all of those and we've suggested these artists for you, just keep watching those. Because if you guys collectively go, well, I didn't really like that joke. I did, the joke that, that went viral for me uh, is a joke about me playing football in high school. Yeah, I heard uh, that live the other day. It was yeah. so hilarious. <laughs> and so it's good. a hundred percent true story. Uh, I was I, I was bullied horribly as a child. I was, we, my parents uh, from London. We came here, and um, we were in Mesquite, Texas. By the, the way, old. I never got to my first and only question that I oh, yeah. ask is where were you born? I was born in Stephenville, Texas. Okay, I was born in Stephen. My mom was. Uh, this is before you know, they knew to not tell pregnant women to fly in late 
<laughs> in their late term. Uh, yeah. And so she was, I think, six and a half months pregnant with me when she got here. Went to work straight the same night. Uh, so I was born here. Mom. Yeah, um, I was born here, and then back then it was easier for for her to go back, like for us to go back to London, than it was for all of the family in London to come see us. So family lived in London. So family lived in London. Family lived in in India. A tremendous amount of family lived in India. Her yeah. friends and things like that were back in London. That's where she spent seventeen mm-hmm. years after India. So it'd be easier for my. It'd be financially better. And it'd be easier for my mom to go, okay, this is back in 75 when you go, okay, well, we're going to come to London for six months or a year and everybody gets to meet the baby and blah, blah, blah. And then we'll go to India. So we're in India for, um, I don't remember how long it was, but I I, I have bits and pieces that I remember of it. Uh, London, uh, I have bits and pieces of as well. Uh, And then we went back when it was 16 and we would go to India like almost every four years or so. But London, we went back to a couple of times to visit her friends that she that she considered her family back then. And so what part of London did you, uh, do you remember those bits? Of yeah. 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 Like uh, so my, my, before they got married, my mother lived in Golders Green. My dad lived where all the Punjabis live is in South Hall. Uh, and then when they got married, their first house was, uh, in Ealing and then Harrow. And then they moved to central London. Okay. Um, so they were, uh, lived on the very famous Baker street. So there you go. Uh, central London. So, so anybody that's a Sherlock Holmes, Holmes fan, fan yeah. Baker street. Yeah, and then we went back to India um, because my grandparents uh, on both sides were there. My aunts and uncles were there. So we went there for, I think it was about a year. Um, but we went there, and then we started going back to India uh, constantly um, every four years. Almost every four years, like clockwork, we'd go and spend the whole summer. What which part is a, of India were you New Delhi. Because that's a huge country. Yeah, yeah, New Delhi, the, okay. the capital city. So, nice. uh, so we'd go there. My mom was from a small... Uh, not now a very big city, but a very small city back then, about four hours away from Delhi. May I ask why the name change to New Delhi? Uh, so there's Old Delhi. Yes. Uh, and then there's New Delhi. So when, because it, I think they were, they were building the capital. This was new regime, okay. right? This was independence. So they didn't want to lump, uh, I, I believe this is my, I, I could be wrong, but um, I believe the, the idea was that Old Delhi is here and then we're building... New Delhi, where the capital is and, and the presidential houses and all of that stuff is all and parliament, all of that is there. Okay. So let's make that its own distinction. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so we, we lived in Mesquite. I mean, we bou- we went from Stephenville. Um, and then Which we, is, what's Stephenville? I'm not familiar it's with a very, all uh, Texas. So, yeah. So Stephenville is about an hour and a half um, east of Fort Worth. Hour and a half east of Fort Worth. Yeah. Okay. No, sorry. I'm sorry. West of Fort Worth. I apologize. West of Fort Worth. Um, uh, and it's Tarleton State University is there. Um, there's the Dinosaur Park, uh, very famous in Texas, Dinosaur Park. Like, if you go, it's very cool. Like, you can go into the rock beds and the river beds, and you can see, like, the footprints and you, all the fossils, and they have, uh, they have a whole park dedicated to it. Um, but it's just a, it's a nice, small country town. We lived, uh, my mom lived with a family called the, the Morrows, uh, lived there and that's uh they had a ranch and uh, mr morrow sold insurance in fort worth and he drove to fort worth every day to do his insurance job and came home and uh, there's a great picture of me I, I wish i still had it i don't know where it is but it's me i think i'm like three or four okay and i'm in full-blown like wranglers boots cowboys pearl, pearl snap and a stetson 
Uh, and apparently that's, you know, that's, that wasn't, that wasn't dress up day. That, that was just what it was. That was normal uh, attire. for. The and then day. we went to Mesquite uh, in 81. Yeah, 81. And, and you're how old at this point? Uh, six. Okay. Um, so six and, yeah, six or seven, somewhere in there. Um, but then only Indian family in Mesquite, Texas at the time. And so, um, Mesquite at that time, probably about 80,000 or so people, but it's divided by highways. So there's 30, 635, 80. So it, every part of it. So there's old Mesquite and new Mesquite and North Mesquite and West Mesquite. Like there's all of that. Okay. So I was on the new Mesquite side. So it felt like that was all of Mesquite, even though there was all of this other stuff. We just didn't go there because we didn't have to. And you're kind of cut off because of the highways. Because of the highways and then lo- localities. Well, that's North Mesquite and that's East, that's West Mesquite and then that, that's proper and that's old. Whatever it was, we just kind of had and everything was kind of popping up on that side of town. So we had our grocery stores and our malls and all that. So it was a, it was a city, but it had a very small town feel to it. Uh, and with that came, you know, uh, any change was weird. And we were, here comes this new hindu brahmin family uh that you know celebrates that has prayers on full moons and you know doesn't eat you know chicken fried steak and gravy they have you know chicken curry and white rice um and so pretty damn good it's amazing uh uh, sorry to cut you off but quick question full moon prayer yeah so every full moon we do a a prayer uh there's a whole uh uh, it's called Purnamashi, uh, Purnamashi uh, Puja. Uh, it's a prayer that we do every full moon. To um, I, I, I don't know the background of it. I'm just assuming it was to celebrate the new cycle. Okay. Uh, so there's a big prayer that's done. Um, and mm-hmm. I, st- I still remember like we'd be, you know, in our traditional uh, attire and we always put a, a, a with vermilion, red vermilion, a little the dot. dot here. Uh, and that's to, oh, that's to represent your third eye. And, you know, the doorbell would ring. And we're doing like this prayer like 5.30 in the afternoon after school. And like I'm in full gear with the red dot. And my buddies want to go play football outside. And I open the door. I'm like, hey, guys, I can't come out right now because we're playing to the moon. Right. <laughs> and they're like, all right, man, we're just not going to. Just tell us when the full moon is. We won't bug you because this looks really weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I was bullied uh, really bad. And um, that's where the comedy stuff came from. I uh, I didn't know. I'm, I was really, really small. I was a really small kid. Like I weighed sixty-five pounds in the sixth grade. Okay, yeah. Uh, I was a year, dude. yeah, and I was a year behind every. Like I was a year younger than everybody. So I was walking at seven months old. I was reading and writing by three. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Um, so you were on an accelerated path. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they didn't know what to do with me. So they're like, "Well, here's kindergarten, and you're almost four. Good enough." And it was private school, so they didn't have that age restriction. I just had to. Uh, I just was in class. And so when other kids were like, literally, I still remember this. It was at Temple Christian, which is in, uh, it's gone now. But it was on Lake June Road in, in Pleasant Grove, Texas. I love the fact that Hindu kid went to a Christian private school. Because, it, yeah, that's, I mean, there were. <laughs> that's where the joke comes from. Yeah, that, it makes that, so much that, more sense. It, it is, right? <laughs> and, that's, uh, and then the whole idea is because they wouldn't, they, there was no, that you had to be born on this date or this month. September 2nd is a cutoff. I, Whatever. I, I, de- I deal yeah. with it because my, my, one of my kids kind of falls into that. Okay, so, they didn't, so private schools didn't have that. They're like, you got the money? Yeah. Come on in. He's, care, he's four. Then he want kindergarten. I mean, Sounds they care, good. but if the, if you have the mental aptitude, they will be able to. And I still, I can, I can still see it. I can still remember this one very specific moment, like it was yesterday. Uh, there was a girl. Her name was um, Emily Schumacher. 
uh, and I remember she had gray eyes, but she uh, gray gray eyes, interesting, yeah, like stone gray eyes. But she was outlining. They had the little alphabet with the little dashes on it, and you would you would just connect the dashes to make. So you had to. So you were training your hand how to write an A and a B. And and I remember grabbing mm-hmm. a book and sitting in a beanbag chair and reading, while everybody else was tracing like tracing their letters. Yeah. Uh, and so that like like I said, they didn't know what to do with me. So they're like, "There's a beanbag chair. Go grab some books and and." Piss off. Go like sit knock over, yourself out. Yeah, just go sit over there because we don't know. So um, I was a small kid and I got bullied. You know, these kids were so much bigger. And there's, there's strength. And anywhere you go, uh, there's strength in numbers. Um, and it was just me uh, <laughs> and our family, me and my, my older brother, were the only two Indian kids in this town. So we were an easy target because there was no there, we, we couldn't group up with anybody. Right. And so uh, I learned... Uh, my dad would get his hair cut when he would get his haircut in Old Mesquite. And when he got his haircut, he would always steal their Reader's Digest. Uh, every single time. Uh, <laughs> as he said, he was, I'll, I'll give it back. I'm just borrowing for right now. There he never gave it back. But uh, in the back were jokes. Seems like a typical immigrant dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, a, it reminds <laughs> me of stuff my grandpa used to do. Yeah, like I mean, he's like, he's like, but it's sitting on their table. Nobody using it. Yeah. I'm like, but, it's collecting but, dust, but, might as well. Yeah, but I'm like, but it's theirs. But it's it, they don't know. I'm like, okay, if, they, if that's the ideology, they don't know. <laughs> so it's uh, kind of like teaching you to steal, but not really at the same time. Yeah, it's it's. Ste- uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's still ste- <laughs> stealing. It's but I, I borrowing. I guess. Yeah, I never. I, I I used it for what I needed. I got out of it, so the the guilt wasn't on me for taking it. <laughs> but uh, it, they had jokes in the back. Ah, okay. And I would memorize the jokes, and I would kind of like. If it, if it was talking about, you know, farmer so and so and his, you know, whatever, I would make it my, I would make farmer that guy my dad, and I would make this this and this my cousins whatever. So I would change the joke, and I learned very early on, and I think I'm about eight at this point, and I I remember like seven or eight and, re- re- like memorizing the back of the Reader's Digest, to um, tell these jokes the next day, uh, and I wouldn't tell all of them because I'm like I need something for tomorrow. And I and, and I found out I found out very early on it takes a very special kind of person to beat you up if they're laughing, uh, and there was one kid who existed that could do that. He's like, "Man, you're hilarious!" And then hit me <laughs> in the face. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then about nine is when um, I started doing. I would my my parent my dad would let me watch the Tonight Show. Okay, cool. And so I could see like the comics, and there was like people that did voices, and there's people that did this, and you know. Uh, they had their, their routine and all of this. And so I saw the showmanship to it and the pause and, the, and whatever. And so I learned to do uh, cartoon voices that were popular at the time. And I learned to do uh, celebrity. And like, this was back in you know, the early 80s. So not a very popular impression, but Bill Cosby back then was. Uh, and so I could do that. I could do Reagan. And I could do a couple other How things. the tides have turned, right? Uh, Who well, yeah, thought yeah. That, <laughs> that one would be the one not to do anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I could do all of those and... Uh, the cartoon voices I would do and like I could do Donald Duck and I could do Mickey Mouse and I could, there was a, uh, I'm 47, there was a, a, a TV show called Punky Brewster and then they had a cartoon spinoff of this and well, for whatever reason, the cartoons had to be completely uh, asinine. So the, she had a magical bear friend named Glomer um, and I could do his one. The girls loved it. And I started to see, like, the girls really, like, every day, hey, you got to do this, and you got to do this voice, and you got to do this. And the guys now want to be my friend. 
Because you got the girls around you. Because I have the girls around me. And I, it, I distinctly remember, I, I believe it was nine. And I was like, oh, I got this. If you, if you make the women laugh, the guys leave you alone. You crack the code. Yeah, at nine. Nobody had any confidence. And they're like, wait. Yeah, yeah, I, I can possibly. I know I'm not going to be able to date them because I mean, I, I, I'm nine. Right. Uh, but I also know in the future, like that, there that line hasn't, that that line's not going to be crossed. I get it, so I'm aware of that. But I can be friends with them. Yeah. So I I found I found out that I had that power, and I was like, blinded by it. I'm like, I'm going to be friends with all of these girls, and that just worked, man. And so, still bullied. You know, there were still those guys out there that didn't care. And uh, football is—I mean, it's Texas, and, yeah, it's oh, the, yeah. and it was the '80s, and it's still big now. But you know, you have I, I, now that the joke is out and viral, and it's millions of views, uh, tens of millions of views now. Um, I have so many parents who are like, "I would never let my kid play football," and I'm from Texas, and we don't do this. And he's a big kid, but I still won't. Back then, it's like that was its own religion. Uh, was Texas high school football? And I think so, like after the CTE stuff came out and the documentary, yeah, the everything films. once. And, and when you, you know, you could see like Earl Campbell, who's this great running back at the University of Texas, and then uh, played for Houston, um, the Oilers back then. Uh, he would still make appearances, and he it was just sad to watch him walk because his knees were so bad and his hips were so bad from years of just getting punished. Um, yeah. and every now and again, you know, you'd be at the state fair and like you'd run into some of these cowboy players and like. Man, is he okay? And and you find and you find out. I mean, I broke every finger. I broke all my toes. I dislocated a hip. Um, this is all playing high school football. Uh, but I, my whole theory was, I was a very you know sm- sm- a very smart kid, and I'm like, you know what? I've, I've I cracked that code. Now I'm going to crack this one. If I sign up to play football, then the football guys that are bullying me, this was the idea, and I'll tell you why behind it. Okay. Uh, sure. The idea was, well, if I join the football team then I'm not that nerdy little kid. Okay. I'm a teammate. And you want a, a simpatico in, in, in a teammate. You want an understanding and a bond. And so they won't, they won't break that because they're not going to bully me. And what I didn't realize is I'd given them a three-hour adult-supervised, uh, state-sanctioned, daily ass-kicking of me. Right. Uh, that was completely like they didn't, have to, they didn't have to find a corner of the high school to like, push me into a locker or knock the books out of my hand. They just had to wait till 2.30. And then they could do this for three hours uh, and knock me around as much as they wanted. And I was from that generation where if you can't beat them, join them. Right. That's what my mom, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I'm like, that's all. And now I look back, I'm like, that's an awful thing to tell a kid. Yeah. Uh, if you can't beat them, join It should be like, if you can't beat them, uh, find something else. <laughs> you know, find do, do, a way. Find, 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 find a different group of people to hang out with. And so the first time I knew nothing of football, Except for what I watched with my father on Sundays, right? Um, and my dad uh, till till he passed, diehard Cowboys fan, so we would watch the Cowboys games, and uh, I would I would say to him, I remember like you know when these guys would get hit, I'm like, man, that's gotta hurt. You know how much it's okay if they hurt. You know how much money they're getting, and this is I mean it wasn't now by now standards nothing, but back then I was like, oh okay. So when I thought of playing, playing football in high school, I'm like, we're not gonna get hurt. They're not paying us. Right. So why would we? And uh, I had to sit out my first week of this is how small I was. Again, I had to sit out my first week because they had to get my helmet from the junior high because they didn't nobody. They didn't. Nobody asked me a question. They just assumed ninth grade. Right. Yeah. That he's going to be 13, almost 14. I was 12. 
You know what I mean? I was 12 walking in, and and so... And you're uh, still in private school at this point. No, no. This is now public school. We're now in, we're, in public. Now we're in public school. Uh, and so um, I'm like, yeah, let's 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 play this football. I mean, how hard can it be? we got the pads and the helmet and everything. And I got I, they, had to get, they didn't have a helmet small enough for me um, because when I put the helmet that they gave me, when I put it on, I could turn my head around without the helmet moving. Oh. Uh, that's how big it was. Yeah, it was uh, massive. And that was the smallest one they had. Which is a big problem. Yeah, so they they made me sit out. I decided to sit. I kind of had run. I would run drills with them, but I wouldn't do any tackling or anything or or, or catching football. Nothing. I would just run drills with them, and they had to have it repainted because it was coming from Vanston Middle School where I went to where I went to middle school. Uh, it was coming from Vanston Middle School, and they had to repaint it. Uh, and I finally got it, and I'm five three. I'm ninety six pounds. Um, I remember. I could barely bench the bar. The bar's 45 pounds. Yeah. And I could barely bench the bar. Like, I, that was, I think I maxed at 45 pounds, which it, it doesn't sound like you're like, oh, well, that's weak. I'm 95. That's half my body weight. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that's what I'm pushing is it's half not, my it's body not a weight. Joke, you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm pushing half my body weight, guys. Uh, these guys are, I mean, some of these guys had beards, and I'm like, I don't even know. Okay. Also, what you're forgetting is like, some of these guys are like genetically. Yeah, they're Coming they're down not a line of cornbread, huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, farmland. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, if you go, we back had m- f- not that far. It's like it was a lot of farmland here. Yeah, and and I we had a couple of guys, and, and I'm still friends with. I, I lost touch with one of them, uh, although we have a mutual friend, so I kind of know where he's at and what he's doing. But we had a guy named uh, I won't say their last names, but there was a, a buddy of mine named Russell, and the guys that went to high school with me that'll watch this will know who I'm talking about. But in Eighth grade, I believe he was benching. I think he was maxing two fifty. Wow! Uh, and then we had a guy named Jesse. I mean, that's uh, a lot for a normal size. Adult. Yeah, I mean these. I mean he was. Gen- I mean just a different species of human. Like he he was he played varsity. His freshman year, he was on the varsity squad. So did any of the boys end up going into pro? He the, he was he was the one that that the, the we went to college together as well. So he played for the college I went to. Okay. Uh, and the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins, came out to scout him. And nice. he was like, you know what? And I remember having this conversation with him in my apartment. He's like, uh, I've been playing since I was in Pee Wee, and I'm tired. And so he's a teacher. Really? He was a teacher in Houston, and he had the Dolphins like, we're ready to sign you. And he's like, no, I'm done. I've been playing this since I was six years old. And he was just that was his thing. He got a ride to scholar. He got a scholarship to to college, and he did his thing, and he was good. And he's like, okay, now I want to I want to have a life that's not surrounded by. Uh, playing football every year. Um, How interesting is that? But I then mean, there was a guy who I'm friends with today, and I can say his last name because you'll hear it every Sunday, uh, who went to the same high school, but years later, uh, and that's Malik Jefferson who plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, hey. Uh, shout out Malik Jefferson. Yeah, and so uh, there are those guys that like you see now like that are from this high school that went pro because, it, again, it is one of those programs that is very, very football-centric and one of those high schools that's very football-centric. But um, So that they, I got my helmet, and I remember they're like, okay, we're going to take you. It's tackling drills. I'm like, all right, let's do it. What is it? And they're like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, no, but can you just tell me what we're going to do? Well, that guy's going to hit you. Oh, okay, well, I have all the pads in the world. This is great. And they paired me up with my buddy Michael, who uh, – Back then, I think he was five six five five six five seven, uh, five seven, but he was 150, 145, 155 pound offensive lineman. That's a much bigger dude. Substantially bigger. Um, and the first time he hit me, 
I remember getting hit. I remember like it was yesterday. It was hot, extremely hot. Uh, it's two a days, which I didn't know. And I do the joke about that too, where I'm like, I didn't even know what a two a day was, and I'm Indian. We're good at math. <laughs> like, uh, so you had to be there at seven thirty in the morning, and then you had a break, and I think we went back at like two thirty in the afternoon. So this is and, a grueling program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was every day, uh, two days um, wow. in the Texas heat, full pads. I think the first day of two days, I could be wrong. It's been so long ago. But I think the first day we were in shorts and uh, just our, our, our T-shirt. And then I think the rest of it was pads um, and full pads, the whole nine yards. And uh, they're like, okay, so they, I have the ball in my hand. And his, his, goal, his objective is to take me down. And it was effortless. And he hit me, and it's no fault of his own. He this just what he's been doing since he was in Pee Wee, and it knocked me unconscious. Wow! Like I got hit so hard. I remember getting hit, and then that was it. Like, <laughs> and I literally thought I've died. <laughs> I was like, that was it. I was like, I'm gonna have the worst story to tell these people wherever where it is I'm going that this is how I died and I open my eyes and I'm in someone's lap because again that's how small I was I was being cradled (laughs) now I understand why you got bullied so much yeah I was really tiny kid you're just an easy target 100% so that's why I don't fault anybody that's why I'm not bitter about it that's why I found the joke in it I'm like I I did this everybody everybody around me is like what are you doing I'm like no you don't understand those are the guys that intimidate me the most so I'm going to be part of that group because that's how I'm going to overcome my fear of them. And that's how they're going to get to know me. And so uh, it, was, um, it, it was that moment. And I, I wake up. And again, I'm being cradled. And I, see, I look up and I see who... I see the first thing I see is the sun is behind this person. So I just see the, like the outline of a sun. And then I see the outline of a body. And then I see shoulder-length blonde hair. Oh, God. And my first thought was, this is... My mom had, well, my mom, <laughs> very, very traditional Hindu family, right? So they believe in all paths to God. And so there was, above our fireplace was the, that, uh, the old painting of Jesus, the, the blonde hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the blonde the, beard. The, the light look, behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The looking away. And yeah, yeah, Like yeah. the Olin Mills p- portrait. Uh, shout out Jamie Hogan. Um, and uh, I, I see the shoulder length blonde hair. And then I see the sun. So it's glowing. Okay. And my first thought was, I'm, Jesus is holding, I've died. Because Jesus is holding me, right? And it turned out it was my our high school trainer, uh, Sarah Wolfskill, uh, Coach Wolfskill, who is retired now, so I can say her name. And I've, I've talked to her about the story. Uh, but that's who was holding me. And I, the, but my immediate thought was, this, I've gone. That was it. That's how I died. He, he broke my, he, he hit me so hard in the head. Like, he hit me so hard, it rattled my brain, and my body stopped. So is that the entire set, kind of? Yeah, I got like a small portion of it the other day. Yeah, yeah, no, I just do a reverend. You did like a very kind of yeah, very annotated version of it. Yeah, very small version because my time was limited. Oh man, Uh, that's such a funny story. Yeah, the the actual the actual full bit. Now, when I wrote the joke, it was about forty seconds long, but the entire thing now on stage is about uh, almost uh, it's almost twenty minutes. Is it really? Yeah, it's almost 20 minutes in its entirety, if I go from beginning to end. I mean, I can only imagine, like, there's so many parts here that have tags and throwbacks, and, like, you can call back to certain things that haven't, like, even the describing the Jesus photo. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Like, there's a whole side note of it on your mom that goes into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the the whole idea. Like, that's that's the first thought I had. 
is that's who's come to get me. And then my second thought was, why didn't any of my gods come? Okay, hold that thought real quick. Yeah. How did you, when did this joke come to you? Or how did this entire 20 minute, like it starts at 40 seconds, but when did yeah. these 40 seconds so actually come to you? When I was first starting to do stand-up, and, and you write your first five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, um, you, you write about you and your personal experiences. So what I was doing was, I was writing a lot of the material on uh, my parents and my family. So the self-deprecation that most yeah. comedians, you know, kind of incorporate. Yeah, but I wasn't incorporating a lot of myself. Okay. And a note that I got from just an audience member was an older black lady. And she's like, uh, I thought you were great and I'd love to meet your parents, but I know nothing about you. Such wisdom. And I was like, oh, okay. Such beautiful that, wisdom. That makes sense. I didn't really say anything about me. So I'm like, and I'm, I remember jotting stuff down and I was like, oh, the football thing would be fun, kind of funny because uh, I was getting, I was getting booked a, a very early on. I was getting booked quite a bit. And one of them was Christian comedy night, even okay. though I'm not Christian. Uh, I was just, I was, I was, I'm not anymore, but I was a hundred percent clean. Uh, and uh, so I wrote that, I wrote what I remembered of that joke. And then when I wrote it all out, I just kind of removed pieces of it to make it very quick. Mm -hmm. And so the joke was, uh, and if you watch the one that's gone viral, that was the one I did at Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club. Is, is that the I, one with the leather jacket? Uh, no, no, no. This is the one. It's the blue background. Uh, it's the okay. one that's got the the most views of mine. I think it's like 4.8, 4.9 million Ooh, that's crazy. views on on, uh, on Instagram. But if you look at that, like the joke is a minute and 18 seconds long. Uh, and that's incorporating uh, a tag. So I wrote it. I'm like, okay, that's really quick. Hit some. I can use that as a closer. And so that was my closer forever. Okay. Um, and then as I started getting um, more and more years in and more and more time, and now I'm headlining, um, I'm like, you know what? Now I can tell the, a longer version of the story. And as the years went, I just put more of the story in because now they're not like, you know, when you're featuring, they'll go, okay, can you do 20? Okay, well, I can't have a, one joke that's 20 minutes long. Right. Right. They, yeah. They'll no. be like, what, what, we just, he did one joke the whole time. So when I started headlining, I was like, I'm still going to close with this joke. I'm still going to close with the, I saw Jesus. I'm still going to close with that, but I'm going to tell you the whole story now. Uh, and I've had, and this is probably the, the, the best part for me is when I was at the improv uh, in Addison just a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys that was on the team was there. Okay. Uh, and I, you can see me, I, I've, I've posted a couple of the clips, but you can see me point at him a couple of times. And uh, he was one of the guys that bullied me. And I talk about it on stage. Where I'm, and I was like, you know what? I believe in adversity. Uh, I believe in bullies in, in the sense that if it wasn't, and I say this on stage, if it wasn't for the Joker, there's no need for Batman. And if there's no Lex Luthor, Superman's useless. Uh, and I go, and I told him on stage, I go, you were, my, you were my bad guy. And if it wasn't for that guy, I wouldn't have tried as hard as I did. I quit as quick as possible. <laughs> but I wasn't going to get out until I played like that was the goal I'm gonna play because the first year when I was again five three I think five five by the time the school ended but I I played seven seconds seriously you graduated high school no 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 I graduated inches taller no no I no no when, when that when the my freshman year ended okay I'm sorry. two or three inches uh, I grew that but no when I when I graduated high school I was six feet tall okay like five eleven because um, you're not a short person you know? no 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 six one now so um, you played a total of seven seconds? Seven seconds my freshman year. Wow. 
And then we, again, like we did, we went to India for the entire summer between my freshman and sophomore year. Which I have to ask you, why do you go from one really hot place in the summer to a place that's that was probably just as hot, if not hotter? Hotter. hotter. Uh, is it hotter? Hotter, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the idea is my parents lived, my dad lived there for 10 years. My mom was there 17. And the winters in, in London, the UK, were brutal. My mom, at one point, uh, I think a few years in, slipped on ice and broke, like shattered her kneecap. Oh. And she's like, I, she, so when, so she was a nurse. That lasted forever, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was always arthritis. There was always, you know, some sort of... Because you're talking about, like, 70s, 80s? Uh, 70s. Yeah, n- you know, new replacements in the technology today, stem cells. Yeah, None yeah, of yeah. that exists. No, no, no. Uh, and she was a nurse, so she's always on her feet. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she did the full rehab. She, she was back at about... I mean, I think the most she ever got back on that leg was about 90%. Uh, but then there's always arthritis. There's always an inflammation because she's constantly standing and she's constantly running and she's constantly moving. Um, so when, so back in the, uh, sixties in the hippie movement, uh, here Uh in the U S a lot of people dropped out of school, dropped out of college. So there were a lot of really high profile, not high profile, but, uh, uh, jobs that required college degrees or specialties and nurses being one of them. So now if you look back, the influx of Indian people into this country was around 74, 73. 73 to 78 is a big, uh, maybe even 81, is a big influx of Indians coming into the U.S. because tech jobs were starting to become a thing. Yeah, the tech uh, sector is getting huge. It's getting bigger. And so is the medical field. So you have doctors and nurses coming in. And the reason, that, because so many people had dropped out, and so what they did was, they were, I think prior to 73 or 72, the number of Indians that were allowed in through the through Immigration Naturalization Services, I think was around 2,000 per year. And then it jumps to like 5,500, 7,800, 10,000. As wow. these, so my mom gets offered a job in, uh, in, in London. Uh, there was a, like a job fair and all these people came out from the U.S. And the goal, you know, back then for, for, for immigrants, especially in India, was the U.S. That was the goal. Not the U.K. Not the, the U.K. was like the stepping stone. Like a lot of people stayed. They got to the UK and did very well and stayed. But the, the idea was, you know, if you can get to America, like the, the, the dollar translated so much better back home. So the idea, okay. for, every immigrant's idea, not every, m- let me just, let me rephrase it. My parents' thing was, we'll make our money here and then go back. Don't, they don't go back. Uh, because when we would go back, it's too hot. And the, we have air conditioning here. And our cars have air conditioning. And cabs have air conditioning. And we'd go back to India, and you get in a cab that's no AC. Or you get on a train that has no And they're like, this place is miserable. And I would laugh. Make, my mom and I would laugh all the time. I'm like, you grew up here. It's like, yeah, but you don't realize how hot it is until, until you have all these luxuries. You know what's funny? That's a sentiment that runs through almost all immigrant communities. Yeah. So us Armenians, yeah, yeah. there's like this massive population of dads and moms mm-hmm. of a certain age that want nothing more than to go back. Yeah, and retire. But for some odd reason, it never happens. Uh, they I, always it, have some excuse, yeah, delay, yeah. because they, <laughs> exactly like you said, they yeah. visited a few years ago, uh-huh. and they were like, yeah, it's cool and all, but exactly like you said, a lot of taxis don't have AC, a lot of homes don't have AC. Uh, it gets yeah, yeah. seriously hot in the summer, really, really cold in the winter. Yep, yep, yep. yep. The you know infrastructure on the roads is great. Car, yeah, a yeah. Lot of, well, it's great a lot of the in time, the, but yeah. sometimes it isn't. India is like, it's great in, in some parts, and it's horrifying. That's why it takes, I mean, it's so funny because my mom's 
uh, where my mom grew up and where my so from Del- New Delhi to where my mom it's I th- I don't think it's maybe a hundred some odd miles. So are but your it's four mom hours. and dad from the same region of India? Uh, no, my mom's from Haryana. My dad's from uh, Delhi. So north and south. No, no, same, they're both North Indian. North just, Indian, just, just, just different four, sections. Four hours away, just four, just four hours. But I mean, the same region, yes, but from North India. Um, but uh, it's four hours by car because you're going at when people are like we have to go sixty kilometers an hour. Like wow, yeah, right. And then you do math and you're like that's thirty miles an hour. You know what I mean? So you're not doing yeah, much. Yeah, so you're like one hundred and twenty miles away. You're getting there in four hours, and if the, that's if the roads are good. And then that's also if a cow doesn't decide he's going to stop in the middle of the road. Yeah, and you I know, mean, when, once you're outside of the big cities, there's a lot of rural, you know, oh, it happens. I, I've, I've been stuck in traffic in Mumbai for an hour and a half because there's a cow right there, and you can't move it. Because it's sacred. considered sacred and holy, can't, right? Can't, can't do anything to it. Um, you know, people will get out of the car and kind of like yell at it, but I'm like, that's hilarious. Is the sacredness of the cow coming because it provides milk? Yes. So, uh, I, you know, everything is there for a reason, and, you know... Uh, the cow um, provides milk, butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you dry cow dung, it's odorless, uh, and it's it A burns it burns pure. Yeah. So you can cook with it. Uh, you can the cow will bear an ox, and the ox can plow that land. So you can eat that cow and eat for six weeks, or you can use mm-hmm. all of its resources and eat endlessly. But it's a vegetarian diet, right? So, the, and then you go, well, how do we get people to believe? Because there's no mechanization, or back then there wasn't. There were no tractors, plows, pulleys, none of that stuff. So right. you would... T- you would you need a, the ox. Yeah, you would need the ox. You'd put a metal, a, a wooden plank down on the ground. You'd put two pieces of metal behind it to dig into the ground. And you whip your ox, and he'd go up and down the field all day long. As long as you keep feeding him, he's going to keep plowing. And you're going to get butter and milk and all of the resources that come with that cow. Uh, and so let's make it religious. Interesting. Right, even though they won't tell you, but India produces two thirds of the uh, one third of the world's leather. Yeah, comes, comes from India, and then it's one of the largest exporters of beef. I uh, didn't know any of this. Yeah, so how does that work? Uh, Is it you, the uh, people that are because there's vast uh, religions, religions. In, yeah, in India. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna go with the, so that's the idea. Like you have the leather traders that are uh, but Christian I mean, or something, I guess. Uh, you, or whatever. I, I mean, I. I Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I met a guy in India when I was over there touring, and he was very Hindu, uh, but he was a huge leather trader. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know if, it, if the product's already made. I don't know how that works. I've never asked. I just know that if you look up just business-wise, India provides one-third one third of the world's leather. I think maybe the the workaround to that would be is like the cow, even religiously speaking, eventually would die. Will die, then yes. It would be sacrilege not to use. That is the correct. Skin there that there is bared. there is a lot of there are a lot of these places where they will take in cows from the street, and when they do pass, they do utilize that. There's a lot of that as well, uh, but I mean there is a large beef export that comes out. I, there might not be now because Narendra Modi, the the prime minister, there's a beef ban uh, and has been since he was. Uh, put in office. What does that mean? A beef ban? No, nobody's allowed to have beef in India at all. No. Well, how does that work with the people that don't, as- you know, ascribe it's, to that religion? Isn't it? Well, I mean, it's like just, unfair it's, to them. Yeah, but it, it's is also there no constitution that protects. No. Okay. No, uh, because you have a, a parliament that was almost all represented by the same ideology that went, okay, we'll we'll ban it, and then it, so it's an underground thing now. So there's, it's like drugs, right? 
That's what is the deal with drugs in India? How is it legal? Is it illegal? No, no, no. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no legal drug. But everybody, I, everywhere you go, I mean, you can get hash, you can get coke, you can get. I mean, I've seen it. Because uh, like certain parts of the world, yeah. you know, certain things are just legal there. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like India, like, um, I think it's every whatever whatever payday is. So every Friday or every other Friday, the liquor stores closed because laborers will go in and just drink their paychecks away. Oh. So they close the liquor stores. And then there's dry days. So like Republic Day in India is Independence Day is a dry day. So you can't go buy alcohol. And then no restaurants or hotels will serve alcohol. Even though you could be from the U.S. And it has not, your, their Independence Day has nothing to do with you. Right? Yeah, and mine was go, two days ago. Right. Yeah, mine's, uh, India's Independence is August 15th. Ours was, yeah, July 4th, right? So, um, but yeah, so like you can, be in, you can be from here, go there, and you're staying in a hotel and you want a beer. Well, it's our independence day. Well, I'm from, I'm a tourist. Right. That's not a thing. Uh, and you get some places that are like, all right, we'll sneak it to you. Same with beef. Like if you're, I've, I've, I was, I'm not going to say where I was. Uh, I was in South India and I was at a restaurant and, uh, and my food came out and it was, it wasn't great. Uh-huh. Um, and I had gotten a pork chop that when you took all, all the, the seasonings and the little sauce they had made when it was just a thing of pork fat. Oh, there was no actual meat. There was very little meat on it. And so I kind of complained. And the chef came out. And over there, like, the, the chefs take that. It's like going to a restaurant, a five-star restaurant here. If you complain about the food, the chef will come out and be like, what's wrong with my food? Okay, they take um, personal offense yeah, to yeah. it. So he came out, and I was like, this is pork fat. And he's like, ah, where are you from? I said, I'm from the U.S. We get pork chops here. Like, I know what, I know what pork chops in America look like. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, this is all they give me. I was like, well, go ahead and just take it off my bill because i'm not i, I took I, I i didn't eat it i just cut it and i could see i was like you can just take this off i'm, I'm not going to eat anything here if that's the quality it's like he kind of looked around the restaurant he's like do you want to you want a steak and it was and i felt like i was and i don't do drugs but i felt like i was in the middle of a drug deal <laughs> <laughs> he's like like looked around he's like you want to do a steak and i'm like can you and he's like i got you it almost sounds like he's offering you a tiger steak <laughs> that would have been awesome you know uh, what i mean like yeah. Food that is, <laughs> it, it even feels weird to talk about kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what like, it was. And I was like, and I have friends over there that are Muslims and that are Christians that are, that are Jewish. I'm like, what do you guys do? And they're like, there's an underground. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, man. So like my a, buddy a WhatsApp has. WhatsApp group or something. And they give you pictures of the meat that's being delivered I, that I, week. I don't know. I, I don't know how it works. But I do know my buddy who has a restaurant. Uh, it's not my buddy. I've met him a, a million times. It's my favorite place to go. In Mumbai, one of my favorite places, this place called Eddie's, and he's known for his cheeseburger. And back in the day, it was ground beef, and then the beef ban happened. He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, there's no ban on water buffalo." Ooh, awesome! Yeah, and it's really good. It's really like are you. So it's more of a gamey kind. It's of not. Taste it's to it's, it, it's, it's no? not. It's, it's not gamey. It's almost a similar taste. It's just a little richer. Uh, not gamey. It's it's like it's it's a heavier protein. Okay. So when you like when you get like a quarter pound cheeseburger, you can knock that out. Like yeah. a quarter pound water that's water buffalo. You're like halfway through. You're like, well, I'm full. So it's less uh, fat, more right. dense more, muscle. More dense, dense muscle. Yeah. And right. so he just went around and he's like, okay, well, I won't, I won't do the, uh, I won't do the, the the beef. I'll just do water buffalo. So uh, yeah. So that's where that comes in uh, into play. Is is let's make this whole. Um, we keep the cow because it, it sustains more people. Um, 
Now, I don't know what that does. I mean, I've seen driving in India. I've seen like going different places, how many carcasses I see on the side from right. them crossing the street and getting hit by a truck or whatever it is. So I see that and that's unfortunate. And then I've been there before where you see them just literally starving in the street because yeah, they're sacred, but nobody's feeding them necessarily that I've seen a few times as they're just rummaging through trash. Because there's would, no grass for them to... Because the cities have taken over. Yeah. So, and then from a humane side in my head, because that's the logical humane, like somebody needs to put that out of... It's suffering. So put it out of its misery. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you say something like that. I'm like, yeah, but I can't believe you're letting him... Well, that's the life that he was supposed to live. I'm like, who's, who's, who's deciding this? So I've always been conflicted with between religion and, and logic. And so, <laughs> so... I mean, I understand the, the, the principles of it. I understand the mythology behind it. I understand the, like, I'm, I, I'm a very spiritual person. I mean, I have my stuff on, and uh, I believe uh, in spirituality. I believe as long as you don't hurt anybody, all paths to God is right. But, I mean, I can see something and go, you got you to gotta put that out. You got to yeah. put that out of its misery. So, um, I mean, to the people that say, you know, this is the life it's supposed to lead and all this. Yeah. At some point, you should ask the logical question of, but was it really supposed to be that's the life, I, that's, or did humans come in and interfere and with what the that, life would have been? That's that's my thing. But you know, the, and, then the and fl- now our own guilt does not allow us to take this poor animal out of its misery. But then there's the flip side too, and I got that's why I, I talk about growing up in Mesquite with Indian parents, and I understand like the cowboy and the Indian. Like I get it, right? Because <laughs> different I, Indian, but yeah. Because I got to see that side of it. Like I remember there was a block party one time. It wasn't a block party. It was like they're just a couple of houses decided they were going to grill and all that stuff and. My dad would drink uh, Coors Banquet, like the original in the in the beige yellowish can or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, they brought that back, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, a while ago. Yeah, but that was he would that was his that was his beer, and, uh, and there's a neighbor that was a couple doors down. He was in charge of grilling, so he had burgers out and hot dogs and ribs, and here my my dad, who's a vegetarian, my mom who ate everything but beef. Um, but here they are sitting there and there's literally outside of like corn and some, <laughs> some baked beans that they made sure that wasn't, didn't have ham in it and, or, or bacon or whatever, pork in it, uh, and cornbread. And I remember my buddy's dad kept coming. I was like, Miss Sharma, uh, how's the hamburgers? I was like, oh, it's lovely. It's very <laughs> nice. It's so good. And then like a couple hours later, they're just sitting there being polite because they didn't want to say anything. Right. Right. Being good, good, they're, they're good guests. guests. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they were just admiring the hospitality. And so, can you get you another beer? Michelle? Another beer. Yes, thank you. Have you had the ribs? I have never had ribs this good in my life. What's the secret? He's like, oh, you know, I can't tell you that. That's my, okay, one day I'll find out. <laughs> and then getting home at like 6 o'clock. Uh, at any point, they could. it was on our street. Yeah. They could have just left. But they got, they, when everybody was finished, when everybody's wrapping everything up, they went home and they made lentils and rice. And they actually had something and like to they eat. were like they hadn't eaten in days, <laughs> just shoveling this in their face. And I'm like, and it hit me. I think I was like 12 or 13, and it hit me. I'm like, oh my god, they didn't want them to feel bad. Yeah, which was amazing to me. I'd never seen that before because everybody's like, well, I, there's nothing here for me to eat. And you'd hear people say that, like, oh man, you know, I don't, I don't like ribs. And I'd hear other people talking about. It. I'm like, and there's my parents, like literally with uh, some corn and cornbread. And just sitting there, and every time, every time my buddy's dad would come over, how, so how's the hot dog? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't eat another bite. Yeah. After the ribs and the hamburger, nothing. 
and my the, it was hilarious and 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 then seeing that side of it so i got that perspective of getting to to be in a house that 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 had religion and hospitality and spirituality and also logic my mom like would tell me like would secretly agree like yeah i mean it is our fault we we built around their hood like, right we built around well, he started putting roads in where their fields were. Yeah, and we so, displaced all these animals. Yeah, and so, like, what do we do with them now? You know, where, where, where are they supposed to go? Now, if they built places, my, my mom was like, well, if we build, you know, them a, a stable. And I was like, yeah, but they're not doing that. So, uh, they are now. It's just like, I don't know how it is in Armenia, but, like, animal rescues. Like, that's just a new phenomenon in India where, like, puppy rescues. Because like, if you look, I don't know how it is back there, but, like, dogs run in packs in the streets. In India, in some parts. And so they're just now getting them to where they rescue them and put them in like a no-kill shelter and all that stuff. So I left the country when I was a kid. I was five. Oh, yeah. Okay. My wife left a lot later. Okay. Um, and she would say that that was a big thing over there. Yeah. You know, outside of the capital city, anywhere else you went, there, right, there, right. Were, there were groups of dogs that just were like the, you know, the neighborhood dogs. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. No ownership, but they just exist. Yeah. There's somebody always will throw some food out there for them to eat, some, or they'll find it, or whatever it is, but they, they'll, they, they manage. Yeah. The, like, the few times I've been able to visit uh, in you know recent years, again, I've just been in the capital city area, so yeah. I haven't been privy to if it is or isn't an issue that has been resolved. Yeah. yeah. Looking at the way things are in like the political climate of Armenia and abroad with all of its issues yeah. that it has right now. I don't think it's a top priority for anybody. No, no, no. Nor do I blame them. You know, that's more of like, hey, we kind of figured shit out. Let, now <laughs> we can deal with a lot of the smaller things that exist. But, yeah. you know, on a grander scale, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think every country can can say that. Because uh, Armenia is still a baby, technically. Like, the government, yeah. the Republic of Armenia, it's not that old. It, like, the Soviet Union goes to hell, and then yeah, Ar- yeah, yeah. Armenia has to kind of, like, figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And they're still figuring it out. Yeah. So I don't, you know, no no fault of their own that they have. Yeah, and then you also had a, you also had a genocide in the middle of all of the figuring out. Well, no, the, the genocide happened. That was the 1915 genocide. Oh, I thought there was one. I thought there was a one after that that was that they didn't recognize or something. That is the one. That, that they is the one. Okay, I thought yeah, there was so one that's, after. That's the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Uh, you know, ethnic cleansing. Oh, that's being what it was. Okay. The Armenians in Turkey. Yeah, and that they, whole thing. but nobody recognized it until recently. That, that so the United States didn't recognize it for a very, very long time, even yeah. though it was it's very highly documented. There's photographs, there's records of all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah. It, it's it's not something that you can. It happened, you know, in the 1900s. We had all the equipment and stuff to keep records. Yeah, yeah. But that was the big issue. It was like Armenia was advocating for someone big like the United States to, to recognize it. what gotcha. happened okay. and acknowledge it. And then finally, I think the the Biden administration yes, did, they, did, did, yeah, they yeah. acknowledged it in some respect. Yeah, um, yeah. But the big issue with all of that was just like the world kind of denying it, and then now the world has started to yeah, stop our, denying the, the, it more. The, ours was you know the British were, were very famous for divide and conquer. Oh and yeah, that's what yeah. they did. And so when they left India in nineteen forty six, forty seven, um, it was a war between India and Pakistan. My both my parents were in that war. And there were millions of people killed. But it was also at the same time that Germany uh, was being defeated. Uh, the Nazis were being defeated. So that was making the headlines. It wasn't like, it wasn't like that situation where there were people were like, no, nah, that's not happening. People were like, well, that's happening, but look at how this is happening. And yeah. so it just kind of got overshadowed uh, yeah, by the situation in the world because 
you know, you have World War II happening, and this is going on as well at the at the ass end of it all. So, and unfortunately, this happens time and time again. The sure. Rwandan genocide happened, and the world yeah, yeah. didn't really do much about it. And yeah, yeah. you can come up with countless countries where, even the India Pakistan thing, it's like I feel like you guys are the same people killing each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It, but you, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's that's like you're, the, I know you recognize yourselves as different, but aren't you the same? It, you know, it, it, aren't we all kind of like? That that's, you know what I mean. That that's the that's the whole. I you not know. to offend anyone in any no, way. No, that's the, I don't understand the, the, the geopolitics but that, of that. But that's the idea of uh, successful wars. Is you know the the idea of if you're going to have a war and it be successful and not just an onslaught of just human lives being destroyed, is you have to know who the enemy is and they have to look different than you. Because if they look the same, then you're just shooting aimlessly, right? So yeah. It's like you're just killing. And it wasn't it wasn't uncommon for that to happen. Um, and that's, you know, when, when you know, back in the day, that's where the Sikh religion comes from. Sikhs come from Hindus. So the warrior class. Warrior class. And what happened was, uh, is what Aurangzeb was just, like he was co- coming through as the emperor. Or he was coming through and he's de- destroying villages of, of, of Hindus and, and so on and so forth. And... Uh, Guru Govind Singh, the last Sikh Guru, uh, he his father was was killed, and he said he said was wasn't there any Hindus to protect my father, mm-hmm. and they're like well we all look alike. And he's like okay well I'm going to change that. Right, we're going to be able to de- be definitive to what we look like, and so that's where the the the, the traditional the traditional tro- the, the wardrobe of the Sikhs comes. Yeah, from. the traditional the 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 what you see. It was developed because it's like we need to have an identity so that if in any situation anywhere in the world, you will know who uh, we are, who, who, who you are. And if you need help, you can see it. And if you need somebody to have your back, if you need somewhere to go, if you need someone, you know, if you need a resource, it's there. So it's very smart. Yeah. Uh, but you undeniably know, smart. Yeah. But so, so, I mean, I got to I got to grow up with all of these different um ideas and ideologies and, and religions and all of this stuff. And so uh, I have an appreciation for all of it. But it was going back to what, what I was saying about um, th- about people and, and religion is uh, so many people like with the, the Jesus football joke uh, will come after me religiously and they'll be like, well, you're, you know, your God, because I do, it was like, I don't know why nobody else is like, why my, why my gods didn't show up and this one did. Even though it was my high school trainer who was a lady uh, with blonde hair. I mean, that's that's genuinely what makes the joke, yeah, <laughs> uh, unique. Yeah, uh, it makes it original because like there's probably been a million jokes about being hit and seeing Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know, I haven't seen them. I mean, but I'm, I'm sure football in general, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody gets hit, and yeah, see or Jesus, see God or something, or like, something that. like that. Sure, but your take on it is what made it so funny is yeah, like you're it, like not even my god dude, even even in, even yesterday somebody's like well that's because your gods aren't real and, and, and i'm like man, it's a joke like that's you know that's what i was talking about is like you know you can't when it comes down to censorship and and it comes down to like these people going well we don't like that you do that joke like that there's a there's that whole chasm that's out there that's gonna go well, we don't we don't like him because he does a joke where he makes fun of jesus i'm not making fun of jesus you don't realize that there was a, a that's who i thought that's who i equated where I was going and just wondering why my guys didn't show. It's a, the whole thing is the idea is it's a joke. And Dude. I think we've lost sight on some aspects. There's some things where I'm like, I've seen some clips that go out and I'm like, yeah, that's just a, it's n- number one, not just a bad joke. It's in bad taste. Yes. And it's designed to offend. Now that's a different, there are people that like that. 
there's that group. But I see some of that stuff where it's designed to offend a, a group. It's designed to hurt somebody. I don't do any of that. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the capacity to sit there and isolate my brain to decide I'm going to dislike a certain group of people or a certain base or whatever. I'm like, I think that's funny, so I'm going to write it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's it's very interesting. And you're just talking about like people coming to your shows now. Does that Does that take away from it? I'm like, well, I know that person's not coming. And whoever thinks like that's not coming. So, you know, you, you're going to miss a really good show. But do you I, want those people anyways? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's just the one sensibility that they're like, hey, listen, that's I can't get past this. Then no. But if they can go, I didn't like that joke. Let me see what else he's got. I like that. Like, I like it's, it's I, I well, look at it like the I, true range of a real comedian is you're going to hit. Uh, a nerve, way, yeah. No, the, I mean the way I, not just hitting the nerve, but the way I look at a, a really good comedian that's got like you know twenty or thirty an hour set, something yeah. long is you're gonna keep hitting different groups of people. Yeah, but everybody's gonna continue to be laughing. So like you're gonna have general jokes, and then you're gonna have specific kind yeah. of like yeah, this yeah. group will identify with it, that group will identify with it. Yeah, that's like I think that's the true you know arc of a great comedian is like finding yeah. those. Yeah, and I don't, and, and and that's the thing. Like, I'm not offensive. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. No, not at all. I don't. I, there's no malice behind anything I say. There's no. I mean, it's just coming from a place of, of having fun. Because, uh, you know, the last show I was, I was saying, I was like, you know, life is undefeated, and so we we need to we need to start looking at that. Uh, re- start remembering that again. It's like nobody gets out of this one alive, right? So. We need to do what we can to to have fun and to have that lightheartedness that comes with like you know I I, I remember my parents you know having dinner parties and the the, the uncle jokes and the dad dad jokes as they're called yeah. now like all that stuff and they'd say the same joke a thousand times and everybody knew the punchline but they all still laughed because they had to go back to the factory tomorrow or they had to go back to the office tomorrow or they have to go back so why not laugh now and even though I've heard that joke a thousand times I'm still gonna laugh and. So I, I saw that that need for uh, release and escapism. And whether you find that in religion or if you find that in food, whatever you find comfort in, like I, I, think, we've, I think we've lost sight of... of uh, I know from an artist side, I'll just say, let me say we, I say I. Sometimes I'll, I, I will write something and go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I... I don't want that to... I don't want that to hurt anybody's feelings. Even though I know it's not going... It shouldn't. But I don't want to be in that now where I'm like, if I wrote that joke 20 years ago, it would have been fine. Nobody would have said anything. But then, you know, I don't know where the line, there, there used to be a definitive line in the sand. And now I don't think we know where that line is. So everybody's kind of pumping the brakes on what they think. Not everybody. Let me just say me. Uh, I, I'll, there's times where I'll start to write something to go, uh, if I did that, if that gets out and that gets enough, whatever. Even though I think it's funny, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I think that's where a lot of it is going now. And I hope, because everything's cyclical, I hope it gets back to where everybody can just understand like, hey, tomorrow we got to go back to the grind. And tomorrow this, and tomorrow cancer, and tomorrow gun violence, and tomorrow like whatever can happen in a moment's notice, right? So if we can always take away from, from whatever show we're watching, whatever entertainment, it's entertainment. That's the thing. It is to entertain. Uh, and so it's not, not everybody's going to like everything, right? No. And I think the unfortunate, my opinion of it, this is just for me. Yeah. When 
comedians, artists, entertainers begin to do that, have that thought in their head, yeah, uh, it is for me the simultaneous beginning of the destruction of a society. Yeah, I mean, but but that's the thing, right? Because we're not changing the constitution. You still have freedom of speech. Yeah, but but if you want to be available on platforms that can potentially help you live, yeah, as an artist, yeah, then those thoughts come up for some reason. Yeah, um, but they, but it's not for some reason. And I can say this because I've seen it happen with a couple of people, and they 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 they're fine. Uh, but for for a minute or whatever, it's. I don't think people understand the consequence of that action, right? So when they go, oh, I don't like that. This person said that. I don't like it, so we're going to stop. There's a livelihood behind it. Behind that person could be a family. I don't know. There could be a family. There could be kids. There could be people that are reliant on that person's paycheck. Yeah. And because you didn't like something and, and because you – and maybe it was offensive. I don't know the ba- – I'm just giving you a, a – a, a hypothetical, but there is there are people that are dependent on that income, even if it's just yourself. If you go, oh, I have to pay rent and I have to pay bills, and this is what I think is funny. I didn't mean it for it to be this way, and it was ta- whatever it was. There is not the dis- I wouldn't say the destruction of society. I can see what you mean by that, but I would think the destruction of their society, of that person's, you know, no, not, the, not being I, able to. I I know what you're looking at, it like on a micro level. I yeah, look yeah. at it as a macro level of. Um, you know, a, a ship can take a certain amount of cracks in the hull before it bursts. Yeah, yeah. But if nobody maintains those cracks and actually sure. repairs them, sure. eventually there will be enough. Yeah. This is one of those, like, big cracks for me that yeah. needs immediate attention because part of the whole concept of this country was that, you know, First Amendment right. Yeah, and yeah. And that's how us, uh, the regular us, you know, yeah, the, yeah. I'll talk about just me, get information on when we're being stupid. That's, <laughs> it, it is the mo- and it is more yeah. important than the news. It is more important than, yeah. you know, Becky and her update on the cake on Facebook or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Knowing when as a society we are being dumb yeah. and to correct is so important. Yeah, you know, and I, it, it is, you know, I, I come from an old school in the sense that, like, I cut my teeth on Richard Pryor and Red Fox and... Um, George Carlin probably George Carlin I, I, I didn't like the, the last couple of specials as, as he was older I think it was it was uh, a very different George Carlin it was a very different George Carlin but uh, Stephen Wright I remember this is I'll tell you, this is so funny because he's, uh, he's so great and I remember I was going to India and we were on I think it was Pan Am I think was or oh was, my god yeah Pan Am or it was Lufthansa one of the two but they had a comedy channel and I was like that's all I'm listening to the entire however many hours it would take back then with layovers and all this. And it was Stephen Wright, it was Cosby, and it was, I can't remember who the other person was, but that's it. And it was on a loop. Wow. And so I just listened to that entire loop for the entire flight there and the entire flight back. And I was just absolutely mesmerized by the ridiculousness of Stephen Wright. Yeah. It is so beyond absurdist that it's just brilliant. But then I watched, you know, the first thing that I ever saw was Delirious. It was Eddie Murphy. That was the first comedy show. That was the first comedy uh, 
experience I had outside of me telling my little stupid stories. But you can watch Delirious Still or Raw up. right now. I never, it's I didn't, perfect. I, I didn't like, I'll tell you this, I'll be, I'm a, one of the, I'm, you're going to get people going, I can't believe it, it was my favorite. I didn't like Raw. Really? Didn't like it. How come? What I, was it about Raw that, I mean, Delirious, I think, everybody calls it one of the best stand-up specials uh, Delirious is, is the, is. But for me, Raw was not any less. I it thought it Eddie was. and like, it is just. I mm. thought it was, I thought it was a little more. Like the whole of, uh, you give me half Eddie, like that whole thing. I'm like, that didn't happen. But the barbecue where his cousin was on fire did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was a, it was a, it came from a real place and not a made up place. And I think when he, when he came out and he did the whole raw special, I think it was, um, to just, it was designed to not tell you anything more about him. It was just designed to set up scenarios that are funny. Right. So anybody can take that bit of having an African wife. I can take that bit and make her Indian. Right. I can. You can take that bit and make her Armenian because it didn't happen. Right. But I get it what is you're possible. Right. You know what I mean? No, but no, I get but what like him going to the barbecue and his dad being drunk and talking about how his wife's a Bigfoot. Like that's. You I, shaved I, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like when he's like, uh, your wife's a Bigfoot, Gus. Like yes. I, yes. But like I. I can see a drunk person doing that because I've been around a bunch of like my, my people, my Punjabi people, like what, you know, we're having barbecues or we're having dinner parties and somebody gets drunk and starts the truth wagon comes out. Oh yeah, man. And it I'm happens like, in our culture too. Oh, it's so oh. brilliant. And I'm like, Oh, this is hilarious. They're going to be tomorrow. There's going to be phone calls and you know, he had too much to drink. He just wanted to say sorry like that. But all you that. can gauge it by the empty bottles. Of, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Night? Is it going to be a happy night, a fight night? Is it going to be everybody crying in a circle at the end of the night? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can just tell by the, the alcohol yeah, yeah. and the amount that is consumed yeah well ours so the 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 sign of a good party back in the day and this was very this very much my at least what my father would say uh is if uh if they broke out red label johnny walker's like mm, there must be tough times why, uh-huh. why why is it not black label and i'm like well not everybody likes black label everybody should like black well they don't and then my dad would be like oh they serve black label. we'll serve shivas it's like, if they serve shivas, then we'll so serve royal salute. I'm like, where, where does this end? Then you're just going to have some guy making scotch. Like, that's, right. that's, the, that's the height of it is when there's a guy distilling it in our backyard. And that's when it's the purest form. Uh, but you, you break out, like, the Johnny Walker Black. And if it was, like, cracking open a second one, at a third one, I'm like, yeah, there's somebody passing out in our bathroom. And we found many an uncle uh, in, the, in the bathroom just, you know, just passed out, pants around his ankles, trying to, trying to take a dump. And <laughs> just falling asleep in the, yeah. Uh, so not to that extreme with us, but in, in our culture, especially the one like the men that grew up in Armenia and then immigrated here yeah, and yeah. later on, for them, uh, mulberry vodka. Okay. And it's almost always homemade, and it's okay. way above forty. <laughs> it's like turpentine, dude. Yeah, yeah, it, that's it, what they drink in India. It's like yeah, almost turpentine. It'll put hair on your back, like yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had it like twice, and. No. Uh, the the thing was, so if you watch, if, uh, and I know they do in Armenia, Bollywood movies are really big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you go back and watch old school Bollywood movies, they're always, always, always drinking. It's called Vat 69. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It's always. So every time, and I still remember it, there was a bottle in my parents' house. And I'm like, hilariously, nobody drinks it. Is it that bad? I I'd never, I'd never had it. I don't even know if they still make it. But if they do, and if somebody's watching and they do, tell me where we can where we can get it because uh, I would love to just have one in my house. That sixty nine. That six. It's a green bottle. It's black label, and it looks like a stencil, 
It's VAT 69. That's the VAT number that used to come out from. And so that was like the gold standard for any immigrants coming from India to the UK or to the US or Canada or whatever, like having VAT 69 because that's what so-and-so, that's what, you know, uh, Shatru Gansin or Amitabh Bachchan or Rishi Kapoor, like the Kapoors would drink that on screen. Ah, and so it. that's when it's like, oh, well, if you can afford that, and then people realized it was garbage and it was just a really pretty bottle on screen. <laughs> like that's what it was. So in our side of the thing, it was if the person was wealthy yeah, or well off, let's say, yeah, yeah, they would almost always have like a bar in their house. Yeah. Same. And just like showing off all their alcohol. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like an eighties and nineties thing. I swear. Yeah, yeah. We had it. <laughs> I'm sure. They had the glass in the back and the hanging. We had, and we all had, the- we had the, like the full on like standing bar with the, with the, so you had a whole wet bar set up wet thing. bar set up and it was um it was like a marble countertop and then it was red and black leather and uh it was like hand cut wood like this thing like we i think they got rid of it like when i was in college but it took like four people to get it out of the house oh wow like i don't even remember it just showed up one day and it was so heavy nobody moved it it just stayed there it just, that's where the bar was nice like, had they left it by the front door, the bar would have been the front door. Like, that's what they didn't. They just put it, they finally got it to the back, but it was full on. And then they found at a, a state sale, they found these glass cabinets that would literally, in your place, would go from that all the way to your door. Wow. It was one piece. That's long. Uh, that's a and, long. And nobody, like, they tried to sell it so many times to, to, when they went, like, my mom was like, we need to, you know, kind of minimalize everything in the house and everybody's getting older. They tried to sell that one piece and I was like, just throw it away because yeah. there's nobody that wants one giant cabinet. Uh, almost never. Uh, but it had the coolest thing ever. It had this little front that would pull, it had a lock on it and then it would pull down and then it was just levels of like stadium seating, but for bottles, right? And then it had the glass, like the countertop that unfolded and you can just mix the drinks there and it had glass on it as well so you could just wipe it all off and there was no mess. Very cool. And it was, that was the bar. Like, that was the, the gold standard. I was like, that's the bar. And then it, as we got older, you could see people building bars. And then, uh, I don't know if it, when houses started getting media rooms, there was always one in the corner. See, that's a very Texas-centric thing. Okay, gotcha. Small homes in L.A. Oh, yeah. I know. I lived in L.A. You know, very years. few celebrity homes have, like, the movie theaters and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah, Most of us live in small houses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or apartments. Uh, you know in, I mean? in, in Glendale, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So, again, if you were like well off back in the day, you had the bar in your house and then you always had like a bottle of Louis XIII on display. Oh, wow. That's money. You never opened the damn thing. Okay. You just had it on display. Yeah. And it'd always be like, you know, when my daughter get married. Hilarious. One of those things where like yeah, yeah. You know, a father would pronounce that it is reserved for a specific day. Occasion. Okay, gotcha. And he would, oh, he would open it on that day. But like it would sit in that cabinet for 20 years or something until <laughs> the day came. They'd be like, she, he's got no daughter. So <laughs> like, like, well, when she gets married, who's he talking about? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had, uh, my dad would get uh, Royal Salute, which is, so there's Chivas. Which is like a Kentucky bourbon, I guess? No, no, Chivas Regal, which is scotch. No, 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 I mean uh, the Salute one. Royal Salute is there, so Chivas is 12 years aged. Okay. Royal Salute, I think, is 25. Got and it. And it's in a um, clay, like, they, it's a clay porcelain, I don't remember which one it is, but it's got a, a bottle that it comes in, like, it's it's handmade and all this stuff. and. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, that, back then it was like a couple of hundred dollars, maybe three, four hundred dollars a bottle, maybe two hundred dollars a bottle, something like that. Interesting. Uh, and so that would when that was like when that came out, I'm like, oh, it's the, the, this is something big. 
So I know nothing about alcohol. It's just not my deal. Yeah, yeah. But my brother-in-law, who's right in your age bracket, yeah. he's a he loves alcohol, like collecting it. Yeah, yeah. So in his house, he's got just like rare whiskeys that are yeah. you know sealed, not open. Yeah, I have and friends that cognacs do that too. and vodkas from around the world, and yeah, he displays it, but like. It's a passion for him. You can tell yeah, yeah, yeah. he really is into like these rare whiskeys and casks. Yeah, and all this I, other stuff. I, 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 I just like to drink them. I, uh, <laughs> I, I never was a collector. Uh, I've I, never been a drinker, so I've never gotten into the collecting portion of it. I'm yeah, like, if I'm not going to enjoy a regular, you know, glass of whiskey or wine, then why should I? Yeah, I've buy never it? like I wh- like whis- like bourbons and whiskeys. Like I, I understand now that I've gotten older, and and it's not just a college thing or. You know your basic um, crown and coke and vodka and whatever you know vodka tonic and all that stuff. Right. Uh, but I there's certain whiskeys I do enjoy. There's some that I know the difference between that whiskey and that bourbon and what cask it's in and what that and so on and so forth. But I mean I was in India and this guy like after a show was like it was hilarious. They're very sweet. It's a very hospitality driven culture. And uh, but sometimes just the phrasing is a little off. Okay. So I got done with the show, and he's like, uh, it was so good, I would like for you to come with me home. And I'm like, hmm, but not that kind of show. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, no, I have to show you something there. I'm like, again, buddy, not that kind of show. <laughs> uh, this guy was, he was, had a, he was a big wig. He had a car, owned a car dealership in, in town. And the promoter of the show is like, a couple of us are going over. He always invites us. I think he just had a, had a, a miscommunication with me. I was like, all right, as long as you guys are going, I'm going. And he, we get to his house, and it's very nice. I had a whole spread, and like he was prepared for us to get there. And he's like, uh, Mr. Sharma. I was like, yeah. He goes, I want you to see something in my bedroom. And I was like, God, man, you are not, how do you sell a car? Like, I don't know how you're doing this, buddy. Uh, and I was kind of just stood in the hallway. And he's like, oh, uh, come inside. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good right here. And he had Poor this. Poor guy. Yeah, he had this cupboard, and it was the most gangster shit I've ever seen. It's like that. Right, but if that was motorized, like he flipped the switch and the doors opened this way, and I was like, "So it's like a sliding door." Yeah, and it just the whole thing lit up purple neon, and it was his bar, and he's like, "I have everything," and I'm like, "That's awesome." I don't know why you're showing this to me because you've not offered anybody a drink. Mm. (laughs) Like what he was like, the the whole thing is like, "You're from the U.S. Look what I have." So that was just his crown jewel. Yeah, and so collection. tell tell you're saying is your brother is your brother in law that you said who? Yeah, my brother in law. Tell uh, I don't know if he he probably knows, but I didn't know Roberto Cavalli made a vodka. I've had that vodka. With Have you him. with him? Yeah, it's five hundred. So, it's like five hundred dollars a bottle. So um, in see Texas is very different. In LA, we have plethora of liquor stores. There's yeah, no, same. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no like restrictions and stuff. No, I mean the 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 one that was direct, so I I used to live uh, in Sherman Oaks. Uh, I lived there for eleven years. Yeah. And so he lives uh, in West Hills. So like. Oh yeah, yeah. Hop yeah. skip away. Yeah. So I was on. So there was the liquor store on Ventura and Kester that was right d- directly behind my house. Uh, okay, and, I know which one you're talking about. And they about. would get like, I mean, you would come in like. Uh, the, also, there was a Russian grocery store that was down uh, in Encino Commons. Uh, There's like this Russian market that had like the machine gun, like the bottle that looked like a machine gun. There's a bunch of those yeah. places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but like this guy, these guys back there would get the high end. Uh, I never saw Roberto Cavalli. I didn't see that until I was in India, in India. But I saw like these high-end whiskeys and these high-end. Uh, By the way, the Roberto Cavalli thing—not five hundred bucks in the U.S. It's oh, it's a not a lot less. Okay, because I know he was like, "It's five hundred dollars a bottle." I was like, "Man," I, and he had a, a line of them, and I was like, "Wow, nope. that is." 
But I didn't even know. I know I've, I have. I wear his clothes. It's not I, cheap, but it's not like five hundred. No. Yeah, I just. I was like, the, and he's like, you have you ever had Kawali? And I was like, is, is like Roberto Kawali, like, like the fashion what, designer. Like what most people don't understand is just a licensing deal for his name. Of course, it's right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. He has no idea what the vodka is. He <laughs> probably doesn't even drink the damn vodka. Yeah, I just was like, I have some shoes and I have a couple of shirts and some pants. Uh, <laughs> I've never had his vodka. Yeah, he don't see him advertising like Casamigos was a big deal for uh, yeah. George Clooney because he was the face of it and he was a drinker of the. Well, he is him and his bu- it's him and his buddies. That's the nickname for their house. Was the House of Friends? Yeah, that's where the the, the name. But I comes mean, the from. tequila and everything they sourced it from this little place yeah, in, in Mexico because yeah, yeah. they were visiting and all this stuff. And yeah, he was really into it. The same way with uh, the Terramana. Terramana, I was about to say. Yeah, have rock. you had it? I haven't had it yet. I have not. I have had ca- Casamigos because Casamigos, oh, Casamigos became a, like a, a regular standard uh, tequila for a long time. Okay, because it was it's good. It's still good. Okay, I haven't. So, I want to try the Terramana thing. I haven't. Uh, I haven't tried the Terramana either. Yeah. Um, to that point, like exotic vodkas and things yeah. like that, they're, they're just everywhere in LA. So yeah, he would always like he would have. But that goes again. It goes. It goes back to the. It goes back to, and I like to see how it's evolved, but still comes from the same place of it is hospitality. Yeah. Like so now the standard is different. So back when it was Vot sixty nine, it went to Johnny Walker Black, and now it's yeah, it is your Louis Trace, and it is like you know the I don't I'm not a big cognac brandy guy, but like we had the the VSOP, and then we had yeah. the uh, the XO, the XO, and we had those things, and and, and so like, but it was a hosp- it is a hospitality based culture, but it also I think once you leave the country, it goes to see what I've done here, right? Look what I can afford now. Yeah. And so that there's a lot of that's kind of underlying, right? So I and people ask me this is what I get a lot. I don't know if you get this. They go, "When I think of Indian people, I don't think of comedy." And I'm like, "You got to come to a party. It's the funniest thing. Like there's so much humor and joy and and stuff that comes with our culture." So if you think about it, how much exposure do we as Americans get to the inner workings of Indian culture? Almost none. That's true. But same with Armenian. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I the didn't Kardashians know. Kardashians is not no, no, Armenian but culture and what whatsoever. I, and neither is Cher. No, right. <laughs> even though they have, but people don't realize Cher is Armenian. Yeah, even though they have like the DNA and they come from that region of the world somewhere in their family tree. Yeah, it's not what the typical Armenian family looks like. No. So no, no, no. I think, but what we do know as an American society about the Indian population yeah. easily is. Very smart people. Yeah. Hardworking. Yeah. Always, almost always educated. Yes. In the IT and healthcare space. Yes. Because there's more um, Patels as doctors than there are Smiths, let's say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Patels as doctors. Uh, yes. And there's also, I mean, when it comes to businesses as well. I mean, Patels have the lock on, on hotel motels. Yeah. Like, that's a fact. 7-Elevens. You always think about yeah. the Indian community in 7-Elevens. Uh, and then, like, Biden got in trouble uh, many years ago when they asked him about the Indian culture, and he, everybody thought he had made a really crass statement. And he goes, yeah, I love, the, I love Indian people. I love the accent. You can't go into a Dunkin' Donuts on the East Coast and not hear it. It's because it's all owned by Indians. It's very true. Yeah, I've been uh, to all over the, the East Coast. All over the East Coast. So you guys one, pretty much own it all. So there's one specific. There's a guy who came in. I don't. I don't know his name. I need to do my research better on that. But he came from India, and he worked at a Dunkin' Donuts, and then ended up buying that one. Nice. And then he bought another one, and another one, and another one, and he started a program uh, where if you're coming from India and you work at his Dunkin' Donuts, he's because he has so many of them. 
He's like, well, now it's time for me to pay it forward. So what you can do is you can work, and he puts you on a program where you can buy the one you're working in from him. No shit. Yeah. So that's a program that he has all up and down the East Coast. So all up and down the East Coast, he's doing that. So when you when he when Biden said you can't walk into a Dunkin' Donuts, people were like, can you believe the shit he said? He's like, but he was kind of right. He was a hundred percent right. Uh, he just didn't know that not everybody knew that. Yeah. Right. So when they took that blurb out. And they went, oh, look at this. Look at what he said about Indian people. I'm like, calm down. Go see who's there. That's what he meant is that guy owns them and then he sells them directly to Indian people. Yeah. So it's like when you go, you can't walk into a Dunkin' Donuts without, you know, so the Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, and then I know in, in the South, uh, in the South, um, Schlotsky's got big with uh, being Indian owned. There's a lot of Schlotsky's in like Atlanta. I've never heard of a Schlotsky's. Uh, uh, the sandwich place here? Yeah, I've never been to it. Oh, it's fantastic, dude. They have the French, really? French bread and black olives. Oh, it's incredible. Okay. It's a great, great sandwich. I'll um, try it out. If you're ever in San Marcos, Texas, uh, there's a place called Alvin Ord's, and that's kind of where the Schlotzky sandwich came from. It's a much better sandwich, but it's a mom-and-pop joint for college kids. See, that's when a traveling comedian gives you like these little I went to school trinkets. there. I went to school, I went to school oh, okay. there, so I can, I can tell you about Alvin Ord's. Uh, well, the thing about traveling as a comic, like we don't really get to see any of a city unless somebody takes us. Okay. Right now that I headline for like when you're going when you're doing like when the beginning when you're doing one nighters, you're just in that town for one night and then, luckily you know back in the day, luckily if they gave you a hotel or a motel, like you were lucky. Otherwise, it was just driving to the next city and sleeping in your car, you know. And so and you're dirt poor at this point because you're just like a one nighter comedian. You're still trying. Yeah, you know I you know and that that was my mom's thing. It's like what are we supposed to tell people? Everybody else, their kid, lawyer, doctor, you're comedian, and they. You I'd take money for the hotel. I'm like, I no, I'm gonna do this on my own. And then you like do that the first couple times. You're like, hey, so how about that money for that hotel? <laughs> you know what I mean? But they were very so they gave me a thing. They were like six months. Okay. Uh, if you can, if you can support, because I was living in, in in here in Dallas, I was living uh, the Village Country Club off Greenville and Southwestern. And like, if you can pay your rent and bills for six months without bo- bothering us, you know, because I was I, so every immigrant kid, you work for your family. That's what I did. I okay. Worked, I, my parents had a staffing, medical staffing. There you they go. staffed nurses in hospitals. And uh, I went to work for them after college. And um, that's what I did. And it was just a monkey could do that job. And there was no uh, creativity. There was nothing behind it. And I couldn't stand it. And but Does I, the company still exist? No. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, but, I mean, they did. Back, mom and pop, like, medical staffing got bought out by the conglomerates. Like, okay. your HCA and your Columbia's. And so they, those guys got bought out. Um, and so, uh, and then my mother in 2012 fell sick with cancer. And so that kind of like kind of put everything on hold for, for that. And and then she, she, uh, 2011 passed away, 2012. Um, my condolences. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, and, and so that, that kind of, that kind of guy, I think there was an offer. I don't know if they ever sold it. I know that they were offered money for it. Um, but no, that's not there anymore. But I mean, that's what I did. Uh, but then my nights would be like my Friday, I was dating this girl. And Friday nights was we got food from the same Chinese place, and we got whoever's special had just come out, and okay. that's what uh, that's what I would do. And so then I got into stand up and got some you know early on just local success like open mics and cable access stuff. And then it's like, hey man, I got this one nighter in Midland, and then the next one you're gonna do is in Wichita Falls. And you're like, oh, okay, so that makes no sense, and it's all these miles and. Uh, I remember it was uh, the first the first time it was if you can pay your bills for six months. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was on dollar menus by the end, but I never said anything. And I also my mom was also like she was aware. 
So she would come like, you know, come home. And my, my dad's like, don't give him any food. You give him nothing, all that stuff. And my mom's like, come, you know, home for lunch. And I'm like, Sunday, you know, have lunch with my mom. And then she'd pack. I still remember this. Like she would pack a bag with like food in it, like t- Tupperware container, typical Indian, typical ethnic mom. Oh, yeah. And like I would get it home and I would take everything out of the bag and there'd be like two $20 bills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, my grandma would do that so yeah, yeah. much. Or like $60. Or what, like, I remember one time I think it was 120 bucks, And it was like, oh, I don't know how she knew it. But that was like, you know, I was going to go do this show over here. And, you know, there was no hotel attached to it. But it was a four-show run. But it was all in your car. And this was all. So, and then I did that. And then it was, uh, then there was a lean point where all these Indian, because Russell had just popped, Russell Peters. Yeah. Who lives in Robert Kardashian's house, by the way. Does he really? In Hidden Hills. It, uh, the, uh, Robert Kardashian used to own it. I love um, Russell Peters. I he think is, he was the the first big introduction to Indian comedy. Yes, he was. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. Um, a, a, a good friend of mine till this day, and you know, he, I have his book. Um, uh, it's called Call Me Russell, and at the end of it, he said, uh, "It's so brilliant." He goes, "I want to thank my family, my friends, and the internet for making me famous." Because the internet popped him off, and he knew it. Like he was in Canada since, and he started stand up in '89. I mean, we were watching Russell Peters. On YouTube on a computer because mobile yeah. phones were not exactly yeah. like in you know the Apple I remember one getting hasn't been announced yet. I remember getting that email and thinking to myself, "You assholes! I've been doing stand up here in Dallas, and you're sending me this clip. Yep, and I'm trying my hardest to fill the improv. And I'm like, well, and then I got to be friends with Russell. And I'm like, okay, that guy's been doing it since '89. I started in 2002. Like he put the work in." Oh, yeah. Uh, and so what happened was uh, there was a kid who lived in Toronto who moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And he took Russell's, this is before YouTube had time restrictions. He took Russell's one hour Comedy Central special and just threw it up on YouTube. Okay. And it went, it was, the, I think, the first thing to legitimately go viral. And so, you know. I don't see why not. Because, like, it, I remember it was such a bad, grainy video, too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. all of us watched it because. Everybody watched it. His accents and the way he portrayed yeah. family and his yeah. dad. Like, you're like, Dude, that's everybody's dad. Yeah. And so every comic uh, or every Indian kid that didn't want to be a doctor uh, decided, well, he's making money. How hard can it be? Oh. And so they tried. There was this, like a couple of years where the market kind of flooded. Okay. And so there, was, there were lean times. And I remember. Um, my dad was like, how much longer do you think you can keep this up? And I was like, no, no, things, I, I, got, I got a couple of shows coming. He's like, no, no, but how long do you think you can keep this up? And he goes, I'm going to give you a year. In a year, you have a year from today. And he made me sign a contract. That was my dad. <laughs> that if uh, in a year I didn't have anything of substance that was like career substance that I would go to law school. Okay. And now, you already have a bachelor's, I'm guessing, at yeah, this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did uh, you do your undergrad in? Uh, in, uh, in fine arts. Okay. So, I was an acting major. Um, okay. <laughs> so, law school's the only place left. That's it. Uh, <laughs> my mom still wanted me to be a doctor until the day she died. <laughs> She's like, you know, there's a program in Switzerland. It's only two years. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a 40-year-old doctor. Even uh, after the success and yeah, headlining I mean, and, I, I could, you know, I getting could, on your own. And I could see, like, when I would come to my parents' house, like, I knew they were having dinner parties when all my shit was on the coffee table like oh, all, okay. the, all the magazines whatever my specials playing on the tv <laughs> on the menus on loop but all of it's uh, on the table like that i knew then i was like no they're having people over so when they go how's it doing no you can see 
And, like that. and now in this moment, you also understand how proud they are of you. Yeah, of course. Because of course, oh, look at this, my yeah, son. Yeah, 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 yeah. My mom, uh, one of the, the, the last shows she came to see, she had brought sixteen of her girlfriends. How awesome uh, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She ended the show like she. I was doing a joke about how, you know, we, we got beat by her. My, my in Indian house, like the mom is the disciplinarian, and so I was doing a joke about how my mom used to beat me. And I go, if you don't believe me, she's standing right. She's sitting right there, and all five foot three of her stands, and she sold out the improv. And she just waves to everybody. Oh. And she goes, I used to beat him. And the applause break that she got, I was like, the show ends here. Like, there's nothing I can say that's going to be any funnier. And I went, you guys have been fantastic. Thank you. It's got to be that, one of the best memories it was for one both of, the, of you. It was one of the coolest moments. Yeah. Uh, so, so the law school thing. And so we're coming down to the wire. And I get a call. And it's this thing called the Gurus of Comedy. And it was 16 cities. But they only needed me. For the force, this is what I was told. They only needed me for the force stops in Dallas, in Texas. Okay. And I was like, okay, this is a national tour. They only need me for four of the shows, but I'm getting the press. My dad can see that. And we're like down to the wire. Like we're getting like two months away, right? We're going back and forth. We're talking money. And we finally agree to it. And I signed, I haven't told anybody. I signed the contract. They signed the contract. Um, and I look at the, the availability and they call and they go, so here are the dates. And they start saying all 16. And oh, I was like, wow. no, no, I go, I thought you only wanted me for the four. They go, oh, you can't do the other 12. I was like, no, 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 I sure can. And they're like, oh yeah, we want you for all 16 dates. Nice. And I signed that contract. They signed that one. We got the dates locked in, the money locked in. And I went, my dad's I had an office um, on Hillcrest and 635 here in Dallas, uh, Hillcrest Plaza. And I walked in, my dad was typing away on the computer or whatever. And I just put the contract on top of his keyboard. And he doesn't even look at me. He just reads, I just watch him take his glasses off. And he reads it and he puts it in his inbox. And he just goes back to typing. He doesn't even look at me. He goes, oh, that was close. Nice. And I was like, oh, all right. And he never bugged me again. Never, ever bugged me again. And so we went on to that. Uh, the, and then the the market kind of, you know, devolve when people were like med school's easier <laughs> oh yeah med school's easier than trying to be a comic because there's they didn't realize they, they just saw russell and go oh they, that happened yesterday they don't realize he'd been grinding since 89 yeah they don't uh, get it like you put you could put 10 years into it and get nothing out of it 100 percent. you can put 30 years and i mean like rodney dangerfield like he didn't find success until he was 57 he started at 21 yeah and then he stopped because he was it was so bad it was so tough and he was married with kids that he was installing cabinets like that's what he did in New York. Is he was a, he installed cabinets and did siding. So yeah, that's the thing is like uh, people don't understand how hard it is. Yeah, to yeah. Be uh, a talented person and then just work nonstop, but yeah. see nobody recognize it for yeah. decades yeah, on yeah. end. Yeah, and then it's also like you don't you know. Uh, there's that you the, the they also think like when you, when you go to a club and it's sold out like in the beginning at least that all that money's coming to you. Nah. Like they don't understand like that club is getting that money. Like whatever that club it, early on now I get a percentage of the door, but, and I keep all of my merchandising and I keep all of my sales and right. that. But in the beginning they're like, Hey, it's 500 bucks. Okay. How much are tickets? 20 bucks. What does it hold? 300. And you sell it out. You made 500. The club yeah. made $6,000. Yeah. Cause they sold alcohol yeah. and food and the and food. All so they, they we they're doing Indians at the improv, Paul Varghese and I, when we first started it sold out, we had no idea of a door deal. And we're getting, I think, 500 bucks to split between the two of us. Maybe 400. It was like 150 and 250 is what we were making. 
And I remember we went down to Houston and we sold out 464 seats. We weren't allowed any comps. It was $15 a head. And I was like, we got put up at the Derrick Hotel in Houston. We both had our own rooms, like gift baskets. I was like, holy shit, man, this is show business. I got a check for 250. I think Paul got 350. Nice. And I'm like, huh. And then we didn't realize like they kept all that money and we thought about the alcohol and the food. They made $20,000 that night. We didn't. And we did that for years and years and years. And then when we we figured out door deals, um, we went to them. We're like, okay, we want 60% of the door, 70% of the door, whatever it was. Right. And then the Derek stopped. And then it was one room that we split at the Hampton Inn. Uh, There were no more flights to the club. We had to drive. But you (laughs) were making a lot of money. We were, but but just the the immediacy of like we figured out the door deal stuff. Yeah. And the next time we did it, we're like, okay, but we want this. Cool. Well, here's what. Here's what you get for this now. Now we're driving down to Houston. There's no Derek Hotel. There's no gift bags. There's no. Yeah, it's the catch twenty two. Yeah, like... yeah. And so it was, I just remember seeing the first time we're just sitting in this Hampton Inn, and it's two double beds and like a shitty TV. And I'm like, man, uh, what happened to the Derek? Well, we're getting. And, but when we got our check that night, I was like, oh yeah, that makes more sense. Well, because as as a club owner, I no longer look at you as an artist that I've yeah, booked. Yeah. I look at you as a partner. As a, yeah, this is so now I don't have to deal with you. You know, it's on you. Yeah, it's on you to make the money happen as much as it's on me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what, so, but early on, and I think people don't understand that, because it's called show business, and people like the show, they don't understand the business. Yeah. You know, that, that, you see us up there and like, man, this place is packed. Look at this guy, man. He must be making so, no. I mean, that's not always the case. Very true. So, yeah, man. I'm going to take a quick second. I got to